On this episode of This Week in Linux, we've got a lot of distro news, with the first stable release of Endeavor OS. We've also got some new releases from Proxmox, Deepin, and Farin OS. Dropbox has decided to revert their weird decision of blocking various Linux file systems, so we'll talk about that. We've got some new app news, with KDE Connect now being available for Mac OS, and a new release for the Foliate eBook Reader. Later in the show, we'll cover some Linux security news regarding a recently found piece of malware targeting the Linux desktop. Then we'll round out the show with some Linux gaming news from Epic Games, Valve, Google Stadia, and a new Humble Bundle. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get all this plus access to the world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. You can get started on DigitalOcean for one month for free with a $50 credit by going to do.co slash tux. That's do.co slash tux. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with a $50 credit by going to do.co slash tux. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Up first in the show this week is the first stable release of Endeavor OS. Now, Endeavor OS is a continuation or a successor to Intergos Linux. Intergos Linux, if you're not aware, was a project that was created to become an easy way to get to install Arch. At the same time, it also had extra comp, uh, repos and extra stuff built on top of it for customizations and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but they also wanted to be 100% compatible with Arch, which they were. Um, but it became a lot of work. It became too much work for them to do at a small uh, small team that they had in Intergos. So they decided to end the project around May of this year. So really just a couple months ago, uh, they decided to end it and Endeavor OS decided to take the reins and continue the project and become a successor to Intergos. So it's only been about two months since the announcement of Intergos ending and we've already got the first stable release of Endeavor OS. So that is pretty awesome because it didn't take very long for them to do it. I think two months from from not having a distro to having a distro is impressive. Now, of course, they did get some. They did use some of the code from Intergos to do so, but it is quite different as well. Uh, before we want to get we get into it, I want to uh, discuss like how they describe the way Endeavor OS is and what they how they describe the project. So they say um, if you've ever been wanting to try Arch Linux, but the installation process is not you know you don't think it's worth doing, maybe the bleeding edge nature of the distros holds you back, or maybe you have used Arch Linux before, but you don't want to devote the time to installing it the Arch way, or, or you know that's kind of me in that case. And so, but so they say maybe this distro is for you. The goal of OS and Endeavor OS is the off, is to offer an easy-to-use installer to get Arch Linux up and running in a more user-friendly way. Endeavor OS just released their first stable release, which includes an offline installer that installs a lightly-themed XFCE desktop ready to customize to meet your needs. They also plan to create an online installer, aka a net install, with 10 different options to choose from. Now, these, these options are... Uh, base install, which is no desktop environment or window manager. You build from you build everything from scratch at that point. So you just get the, the basics done. Uh, they also have the i3 window manager, OpenBox, KDE Plasma, Mate, XFCE, Cinnamon, 
GNOME, Deepin, and Budgie as options of it that will be, will be available in a future release. So the current release is just the offline installer. Now, I actually have tested it in both beta and also as the stable, and I gotta say, I'm impressed. For the little bit amount of time that they have to work on it, I'm impressed in what they've got done. So let's talk about the difference between Intergos and Endeavor OS. There are quite a few differences, but I think they're for the better in this case. So Intergos was a lot of customizations, but at the same time was, you know, it was 100% compatible with Arch, but it wasn't really Arch at, you know, towards the end. You know, they, they, they added so much that it wasn't really Arch, even though it was compatible, it was still very different. Whereas Endeavor is trying to be a very close to Arch installer. So they're going to be give you an option to install and they're just going to give you like the basics to get you down, like to get you where you want to go, but don't, they're not going to like overstep into doing a ton of customizations and all that stuff, which is really good. I think that's awesome. And the net install, they have plans to do um, a, a vanilla install for the different DEs as well as some customizations that are uh, more of a community ran customization. So like they're not going to build their own theme and their own icon set and all that stuff. They're just going to use what is provided for them in the Arch repo as a way to customize the look and feel of the desktop when you first install it. Or you could you could uh, skip that part and just use the vanilla versions, which is a really cool op option because this is essentially making it possible to get a very, very close uh, to Arch install without doing the Arch way, which is very, very cool. And another thing that they were doing, now this is actually similar to Intergos, but uh, the, the other thing that they're doing is that they set a main goal to offer a community that is very friendly to all user levels. So they're trying to make it possible that, you know, you can come to Endeavor OS and if you come and if you experience a problem, you just go to their forum or their Telegram group or whatever and ask for help. And they're trying to make it as possible, like as, you know, as friendly as possible, which is great because... You know, Arch is not known for being the most friendly, but that's also because they're not, they're specifically building a distro for a certain loser level. And that they're not necessarily rude or mean, but they are kind of dismissive because of that requirement of user level or user experience. So this is kind of a different way, a different perspective where they're creating a installer to get Arch and you're still, and you're mostly on Arch, but they are focused on not sending you away to Arch to get help. You go to the uh, Endeavor, Endeavor OS forum to get a, you know, to get your help and to, or the Telegram group to get help and everything. So they're they're heavily focusing on the fact that it's a different distribution. So it's not necessarily Arch, but it's so close to Arch that you can still get all the benefits of Arch. And I think that's a really really cool idea, and it has a lot of potential. We talked about this on a previous episode as well, so if you'd like to learn more about it, you can check out that episode. Uh, but I think that this is definitely a great distribution if you're trying to get into Arch and you've never done it before. Uh, but I do want to say that it is still pretty new, and it's only been around for like two months, so there might be some issues that you experience here and there. So even though it's a stable release it's and it's not beta technically, I do want to you know let you know it and be clear about the fact that it is, it's only been around for a couple months, so... There might be some issues, but I think that if you experience them, you go to the forums, they'll be happy to help you, and I think that's really awesome. So if you'd like to learn more about Endeavor OS, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Up next on the show this week is Proxmox 6.0. 
Proxmox is a really great distribution and project that allows you to manage and deploy uh, virtual environments or virtual machines. Now, this is not necessarily going to be used for by everyone. This might not be applicable to everyone, but I do think that it is worth it is worthy of being on the show because it is a really great project. And this latest version adds a lot of cool stuff. So first of all, they added Ceph Nautilus and improved the Ceph dashboard management to allow a setup and management of hyperconverged infrastructures via Proxmox and Ceph cluster. So the Ceph cluster communication stack has also been updated to use CoroSync 3. ZFS 0.8.1 is, is now used and also has native encryption and SSD trim support. So the native encryption uses a key handling system by integrating the encryption directly into the ZFS utilities. So that is quite nice. Uh, they've also made support for ZFS on UEFI and NVMe devices in the ISO installer. And they've also done some other stuff like the custom uh, cloud init configurations have been added. And they've now implemented QEMU 4.0, which allows you to live migrate uh, guests with disks backed by local storage and to set more virtual machine CPU flags. So this is really cool. I've, we actually talked about QEMU's release of 4.0 in a previous episode, which was episode 65. So if you'd like to learn more about that, I'll have a link to that in the show notes. And if you'd like to learn more about Proxmox, I'll have a link to 6.0 release notes in the show notes as well. Next in the show this week is the latest release of Deepin Linux, which is 15.11. So this has a significant amount of, of updates to this particular release, uh, even though it's a maintenance release of 15.11, but there is quite a few things that have been done. I'm not going to cover everything, but I'm going to cover all the uh, notable things. So for example, the Cloud Sync Control Center has been made, and this is an interesting thing because they're, they're building a syncing system for the system settings, the like mouse and sound settings and wallpaper settings and all that kind of stuff, making it possible to easily port your settings from one install of Deep into the other. Now that is something I think all distros should have, and if not, all DEs should have. Uh, maybe not even the cl- maybe not the cloud part of it, like because that's not really necessary. But at least having an export of the tools and settings that you do. Like, that would be fantastic. Like, for example, KDE Plasma is one of the best DEs, but it's so convoluted that once you set it up, you don't want to move distros because you don't want to do that again, right? So that would be a much, much uh, welcomed option to have, whether that's, you know, cloud or not. I think it would be better to not have a cloud, just, you know, you could put it on, like, create some export files, put it on a flash drive. And I think that uh, it'd be better if Deepin did that too, because I don't really like the idea of having to install the system, then connect to the internet, and then download the settings, because I think it'd be faster and just easier to have a local version you put on a flash drive. But that doesn't necessarily need to be done. I would just prefer that as my use case. Uh, but I do think it's really cool that they're doing this as a just a, as a, just a function in general. And I think that pretty much every distro should consider doing something at least similar. Uh, but they're also doing some other things that are interesting, like having a disk burning built into the Deepin file manager. They're also uh, having this new feature in their Deepin movie player, which is pretty cool. It allows you to drag and drop subtitle files onto a video that is currently playing, so that you just play. If you have a subtitle file, you can just play the movie and then just drag the file onto the player, and it will just figure out where to put the subtitles, which is very cool, pretty slick idea. Uh, they've also done some stuff like they've improved the sto- the Deepin store, so it now automatically recognizes your region, which I would assume that what they're doing that for is because 
There's a, a lot of people who have tried Deepin, but it takes forever to install like updates because they are going through uh, Chinese servers. And depending on where you are in the world, it could be take a very long time to get those updates. So this is kind of like make it automatically detect where you are so you can have different mirrors, I suppose. I'm not really sure if that's what it's for, but that's what I would assume so. Uh, they've also done some other things like getting some bug fixes and you know general improvements and including uh, improving the KWIN window manager uh, for fixes and uh, optimizations and stability and compatibility and stuff like that for the Deepin uh, experience. Now, yes, you heard that right, KWIN, as in the KDE uh, window manager. So they fixed, they switched to it in the 15.10, I'm pretty sure. And I think it's really cool that they did so because I think that uh, KWIN is the one of the best window managers, just period. And I think it's really cool to see another desktop environment adopt it to see what they can do with it. And I think there's a lot of potential for Deepin in improving their window management because using that when that that the window manager of KWIN makes it a lot easier for them to, to do a lot of cool stuff without having to build all of it themselves, which they were doing previously. So that's pretty cool. And I think that if you haven't checked out Deepin, you might want to check it out because it does have a lot of cool stuff about it. Like their installer is pretty nice. Their their design is really nice. Um, there is some there are some things around it, like some you know, there's some rumors and claims about it being spyware, but there's no real evidence for it suggesting that. Just to let you know that stuff is been has been said and that stuff is out there. So that's all I'm going to say about that because you know this that would require a its own video to address the discussion and debates about whether or not, you know, whatever. So if you'd like to learn more about Deepin, I'll have the link to the 15.11 release notes in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release or snapshot release for Farron OS 2019.7. Now a snapshot release implies that it's not really like the full, a full giant release. Uh, like, you know, you would see it like Debian 9 to Debian 10, that kind of thing. But it is uh, a lot of work still being done on Farron OS, so I wanted to bring attention to it because they're doing a lot of cool stuff. So first of all, the latest or the, the latest updates for their icon set are really nice because they got more cohesion experience or cohesive experience now. They've also updated their boot screen by basically rebuilding their boot screen to have better hardware support by setting up the better uh, support for the hardware enablement stack. They've also done some other stuff with their new Farron OS Next version, which is a, essentially changing their desktop environment. So they currently have Cinnamon as the desktop environment for Farron OS, which is like the stable version of Farron OS. But they're also doing Farron OS Next, which is going to switch to KDE Plasma. But they wanted to have as much possible, like you know, have the best uh, experience as far as stability, but also as many things from the previous version of Farron available in the next version so they're still working on porting things over so but if you want to try it out Farron OS Next is usable uh, it is currently in beta status which actually it just hit beta status it previously was an alpha but now it's in beta status if you'd like to try it out but you know keep in mind it is a beta so there probably will be bugs at some point so you know just keep that in mind but the next this this Farron OS Next version is based on uh, KDE Plasma 5.16.3 and they've ported some cool tools that they use, they have in the regular Farron for this latest release and that they have the OOBE tool is now available. And that is the out-of-the-box experience tool, which makes it uh, just basically improves the experience of like when you first boot the system. 
it gives you like a welcome screen that allows you to customize things and change settings really quickly so you don't have to go into like this you know big system settings or control center to change these things it like gives you the most common things to change and you know what do you want to do that kind of thing so it's really cool that they ha- they're putting that in now and they've also ported their Farin theme colorizer to Farin OS next which is great because the colorizer makes it really easy to customize the look and feel of your uh, desktop environment for the different windows. So by using Plasma, they get access to the KWIN uh, color schemes or cute color schemes, and they've ported their Farin theme colorizer to make it even easier to customize that because it is kind of a pain to customize right now in just the Plasma method. Uh, so it's really cool that they're porting that over. So it makes it really e- much, much more easier to use uh, to change to customize the feel of the applications. So you feel, if you like a dark theme or if you like a light theme, you can pick and choose. You can also change the highlight color, and it makes it a lot easier to just you know heavily customize in an easier way. So that's cool. Uh, Farin OS Next is uh, something that I'm looking forward to because I think Plasma is a great DE, so I'm glad to see that they're switching to it because it has a lot of potential to benefit uh, the distro. And uh, I'm looking forward to see what they do with it because they're doing a lot of interesting, unique uh, concepts. They have a lot of innovative concepts, actually. And uh, I think there's a, there's a ton of potential for this particular distro, and I look forward to seeing uh, what happens next. And if you'd like to check out the latest version of Farin OS or Farin OS Next, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show is some interesting news from Dropbox, which is some it's good news and also a little bit perplexing news. Uh, that is that they're bringing back some support for Linux file systems, for some Linux file systems. They actually dropped support for ZFS, XFS, ButterFS, and other things uh, not that long ago, but fairly fairly recently, but not, not super recently. And it's weird because they're, they're bringing it back for no apparent reason. So Dropbox uh, stopped supporting folder syncing uh, to drives with file systems that they deemed uncommon, which basically meant they blocked everything except for Extended Four, and this upset uh, quite a lot of fuse, a lot of users. You know, uh, there was actually people who created a, uh, they were creating their own workarounds to make it possible. There was also people who there was also a, a project that was created for an open source Dropbox client that was developed specifically for this, you know, like an unofficial form, uh, and that's uh, you know that's actually a pretty interesting project that. I'm talk about in a minute, but uh, I think that this is pretty interesting because the reason that the they gave for dropping it in the first place was they say a, a supported file system is required as Dropbox relies on extended attributes uh, ex-attrs to identify files in the Dropbox folder and keep them in sync, which doesn't make any sense because those things work. And, you know, x-attrs is supported on many file systems in Linux. So, okay, I, I don't know what that means. Now, the reason they gave for bringing it back was, well, I couldn't find a reason. I don't know why they brought it back. I guess because people were uh, finding workarounds and creating uh, unofficial projects to bypass their stuff anyway. So maybe that's why they brought it back. I don't know. But uh, it's good that it's back. I guess, if you like Dropbox, uh, it might be better to use one of the open source clients, an open source client called Maestro, I think, or Maestro. I'm not really sure about that, but this is an open source Dropbox client written in Python. The project's main goal is to provide a client for platforms and file systems that are no longer directly supported by Dropbox. So that's what that was referring to. So they, they have support for Linux and Mac OS, 
uh, if you have a reason to use that. Uh, they have, uh, it's actually very interesting because they talk about how it's also a lot lighter than their regular official Dropbox app. So even if, even though they added the file systems back into uh, the regular official app now, uh, this may still be useful in the sense of using a more lighter approach if you want to check that out. So uh, they're saying that it's, uh, at least on the macOS side, they're saying it's 80% smaller than the official Dropbox app. They didn't really say specify what it is on Linux, but they do say it uses a lot less memory as well. So the you know the memory footprint can be also reduced m even more so by using uh, Maestral or Maestral without using the GUI, the GUI, which is a Python-based GUI. So the, it's based on um, you know it's based on Python, but if you don't want to use Python, you can use the terminal version, which makes it a lot less uh, you know resource intensive because it's not using a GUI at all, which is pretty cool that you can't do with Dropbox. Um, that I'm pretty sure you can't do with Dropbox. Uh, I don't really know for sure because it's been a long time since I've ever uh, since I used Dropbox. But back in the day, you couldn't do that, so maybe you can now. I don't know, but it seems like this is a great option. If that's still true, you can't. Then Maestro would be a good option to do so because it makes it a lot less head a lot less of a headache, and you can also do like a headless install for like you know, a server setup or whatever. I don't really know why you'd want to do that to like have like your own syncing server with Dropbox as a syncing server, but maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't know, but this is pretty cool. And uh, if you do use Dropbox and you, you might have a, re a use for this, uh, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is some good news regarding the KD Connect project, and that has been ported to macOS. Now this makes it possible for you to use your Android phone in sync with your macOS devices or your laptop or desktop and it allows you to sync your files in, in all kinds of stuff like clipboard and everything via KD Connect. So if you never heard of KD Connect, first of all, KD Connect is awesome. It's one of the best tools on Linux, I think. It's it's such a good tool. It's such a, a nice, convenient uh, feature to have that when you don't have it, you really miss it. So... You should definitely try it out. But what it does is, is essentially it syncs your less, your Linux desktop with your uh, Android phone. And it means that you can have your clipboard synced. You can have file syncing back and forth. You can uh, mount your uh, Android file file system to your re your regular file manager in your, dis in your distro. And it's really cool. It even has the ability to use your phone as a touchpad and the keyboard on your phone as a keyboard for the system. And if you use the... Uh, like there's some keyboards have like voice uh, dictation that you can do. You can actually use use the, the keyboard on your phone to do voice dictation and then use that to send through KD Connect to your computer. And it's just it's just cool. It's just an, it's an awesome tool. So check it out. Uh, but if you were a Mac OS person, you couldn't use it before, but now you can. So you the the Google Summer of Code uh, project to have a Mac. Uh, KD Connect on Mac is great, and I'll tell you about it in a, in a minute, but that it allows you to check your phone's battery level on the desktop. It allows you to find your phone by doing like a, you know, ring my phone type thing. You can share as files and links back and forth. You can control the volume of your Mac, uh, your Mac for the, via your phone. You can keep your Mac awake when your phone is connected. You can do all kinds of stuff, such as notifications on your desktop from your phone and a bunch of other things. And there's a lot of uh, features that KD Connect has that are not available in this macOS version yet, but they are working on it. And I think that KD, this is good because macOS people don't like have this whole interconnection thing with their iPhone, 
but it also locks them into this vin this vendor lock-in with all the Apple ecosystem. And this gives an opportunity for uh, people who are using Mac to also use Android and still have that uh, that e integration feature stuff. And that's good because it makes it easier for people to transition away from Mac and therefore transition to Linux and still keep that integration with KD Connect on their Linux desktop. So that's why I'm saying this is a good it's a good thing. No, I don't really care about Mac OS in general, but I think that it makes a good path for transition, makes it easier to have, you know, a really nice integration thing and also keep it when they switch to Linux. So that's that's a, I think that's a good thing. They're also working on Windows, which is going to be a similar thing like that for the same uh, the same benefit. Uh, they're going to make a version of KD Connect for Windows. Now, also want to point out this is not like this is a separate side project porting to Mac OS and Windows. It's not like it's taking away the work from the KD Connect project itself for the Linux users. It's just an extra thing on top. So all of the stuff that they're doing for Linux users is still going, and they're still and it's still you know the flagship system is still Linux. So that's just a little, you know FYI. But I think KD Connect is fantastic, and if you haven't tried it, you definitely should. So I have a link to this blog post as well as the link to KD Connect in general in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is also made possible by the Tux Digital Patrons. Now, if you're not aware, being a patron, it means that you're contributing on a monthly basis to the Tux Digital channel as well as the This Week in Linux podcast. And you can do so on Patreon by going to tuxdigital.com slash Patreon for as low as $1 per month or you can go to tuxdigital.com slash sponsors to uh, become a, a patron on sponsors for as low as $3 per month. The difference between the two is that one of them has a different uh, transaction fee structure that makes it not really possible to do the $1 per month. But anyway, if you'd like to become a patron, it would be very much appreciated because you'd be helping the channel and you'd be helping making this podcast uh, possible and uh, all kinds of stuff. But there's also benefits to you as a patron. So whether you're a patron on sponsors or Patreon, it doesn't matter. However, you get more. The more you, uh, the more you contribute, the more rewards and perks you get. So, for example, uh, if you would like to become a patron, you get rewards such as access to videos being published bef uh, before they're actually made available to everyone. So you could watch them a day or so before, or even more, depending on the type of video. And also, if you uh, would like to watch the unedited live streams when I do those live streams, they are available to patrons only after the fact. So everybody can watch it live, but once that's once the recording's over, then the only way to watch the unedited version is to be a patron. Now I'm also going to be adding some more perks. There's actually quite a lot more that be it's hard to list off because there's so many, but I'm also going to be adding some more perks that are not technically on the websites yet and that I'm going to start be doing a once a month uh, live Q&A slash hangout type thing where patrons can join me to talk about whatever they want regarding you know Linux or really anything. So I think that is going to be awesome. And if you'd like to be a part of that, you can become a patron by going to tuxdigital.com slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Or you can go to tuxdigital.com slash sponsors, S-P-O-N-S-U-S, to become a patron. And uh, thanks again to all the patrons who are helping making this show possible. Up next in the show this week is a new ebook reader, well, new to me anyway, called Foliate. And this is pretty interesting because not only have been they got some cool features, but they've also been working on it quite heavily for the past couple weeks or so. And they've made quite a few changes and quite a few improvements and adding some new features and all that stuff. So I wanted to you know, give, let you know about it because this looks pretty cool. Uh, so first of all, they have a lot of customization options that allows you to change the font, the line spacing, the margins, the brightness, the 
the theme. So you can have like a dark theme. You can have a sepia mode, like it kind of looks like paper sort of thing. And you can also do custom themes if you like. They also have support for search functions. They have bookmarks and annotations. They also have like a progress slider. So like how long you've been, re like how long you're through the book and everything like that. So like chapter markers and stuff. That's pretty cool. But the recent release also has added some really, really cool features such as the text-to-speech support. I mean, it's, it's pretty new, so it's, it's kind of like a basic support, but it's still really cool. And that has that supports uh, eSpeak, uh, NG, and Festival plugins. It also has ex uh, export annotations option to export to HTML, plain text, and JSON. They've added support for uh, Mobi files as well as Kindle files, which is really cool. So Amazon Kindle files will work in it. They've also added a ability to do a quick dictionary lookup via Wiktionary, Wikipedia, and some other stuff. And they've also added a feature to translate passages that you're currently reading really quickly and easily via Google Translate. So that's pretty awesome. There's a lot of cool features in here, and if you'd like to check it out, if you or if you're an e if you're a fan of reading ebooks, then I have a link to it in the show notes. And uh, yeah, Foliate ebook reader. Up next in the show is some interesting news. I mean, it's not very common that we find malware for made for Linux, and it's also not common and actually incredibly rare that we find uh, malware created for Linux desktop users. This is what this is. It's called Evil Gnome. It is a malware masquerading as GNOME, as a GNOME shell extension. It was found by the Intezer Labs research groups earlier this month, so it's not been it's not been known very long, and it's also uh, not really detected across most of the security solutions like antiviruses and stuff because it's so new. Now, it's really interesting because it is a, a malware for desktop users, which is super rare for Linux users, uh, but it also is not really something to be worried about because it's not likely that you will be affected by it. Uh, it's t it is possible, so I'm not saying you're not affected or whatever, but more than likely you're not. So I I'm, I'm say I feel safe in saying that because this uh, they say that this implant is delivered from in the form of a self-extracting archive shell script created with MakeSelf. So if you haven't run any uh, automatic self-extracting uh, shell scripts, you don't have to worry about that. So you're more than likely not affected then. Uh, but makeself.sh is a small shell script that generates a self-extractable compressed tar archive from a directory. And that's what they use to create this uh, deployment system. They use the makeself, uh, the makeself.sh uh, project to do so. Because what this does is it creates this archive and then it makes it possible to uh, download that one file and then extract the contents of that file into another directory and it'll, un it'll un uncompress itself to a temporary directory and then optional, you can arbitrary command will be executed to move it around to other places in the system. This is pretty similar to how archives are generated with like WinZip self-extracting in the Windows world, for example. So... It's interesting because this is the more than like, like I said, it's not likely you're going to be affected by it because of the whole make self thing. Uh, if you're not using any extra self extracting uh, tarballs or archive files, then you're more than likely not affected by this. But it's still interesting that this is being done because they're masquerading as a GNOME shell extension to the system. So they, they put itself into various different folders that are related to GNOME shell. So they say that the uh, in Evil Gnome's functionalities include desktop screenshots, file stealing, allowing capturing of audio recording from the user's microphone via Pulse Audio, and the ability to download and extract other modules. So 
there is potential to th for this to be very awful. If you're affected by it, you're more than likely not affected by it. So I'm giving you the information about this particular issue, but it's not likely a problem for you. Just so you know. Anyway, Intezer Labs found the following modules while analyzing the evil known backdoor implant. They found this file called Shooter Audio, which captures the audio from the user's microphone and uploads to, uh, to a, some kind of cloud service. Also, uh, Shooter Image captures screenshots and uploads to the same service. Uh, Shooter File same, uh, scans the file system for newly created files and uploads those as well. Shooter Ping receives new commands from that service that ser those servers and exfil exfiltrates those data and can download and execute new payloads, meaning add new modules and new infections and stuff. They also had a, like a shooter key module, which is kind of like a key logging module, but they don't know for sure because it wasn't really un it wasn't it wasn't finished yet, so they don't really know if that was what it's supposed to be. But more than likely, that's what it was. So this e evil evil gnome malware uh, variant is now indexed in the Interzer's genetic database which is good because it makes it possible for you to upload a file of some kind of binary or whatever and then use their uh, analyze tool, the Intezer analyze tool, to detect whether or not this code has been uh, has been affected by the uh, evil gnome malware. So uh, that's pretty cool. And that's, you know, I think that's really interesting that they're doing it. And they also doing that for free. So to upload the files, they have like a free community edition type thing. Uh, so... This is uh, really weird that this exists. So uh, I thought it was pretty interesting to like you know let you know that it, it does exist. But you're more likely not going to be affected by it. But who knows if you do use Make Self um, extracting software, it might possibly do it. Uh, more than likely, you don't because it's not very common for people to do that. But if you do, there you go. So yeah, the Evil Gnome malware. I'll have a link to the details of the. Uh, the research lab of Intezer in the show notes below. Up next in the show is a new Steam sale. I mean, it's actually kind of almost over. There's only a couple days left, but I really I wanted to talk about it anyway because why they're making this sale. So if the Steam summer sale and the humble bundles haven't you know left you broke or anything, uh, there's another sale they for the uh, exploration sale, and that is to celebrate the Apollo 11 moon landing 50th anniversary, which is really awesome that they're doing this because, you know, I, I, I love the fact that they're celebrating it in this, this way because, I mean, that's a huge historic, you know, milestone that we had. So it's awesome that we're also celebrating the anniversary of it, especially the 50th anniversary. That's, you know, it's fantastic. So anyway, there's some really cool uh, games that are on sale right now that are space related uh, because of this. And uh, they're all about, you know, they're all, most of them are like 75% off. Not all of them, but most of them are 75% off. Uh, some of them are, are even up to 80%. And there's also some lowers as well. But uh, there's a lot of cool games that are available like Planetary Annihilation, Stellaris, uh, Particle Fleet, uh, Faster Than Light FTL, Sid Meier's Civilization Beyond Earth, the Kerbal Space Program game, Surviving Mars, Starbound, and many more. So if you want to check it out, I have a link to it in the show notes. And I think this is pretty cool, and especially because they're celebrating the uh, anniversary of the Apollo 11th. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, also saving money is really cool too, you know, provided that you didn't spend all of it on the summer sale. <laughs> 
Up next in the show, we got some news about the latest updates from Google Stadia, thanks to GamingOnLinux.com. They, uh, there was actually a uh, AMA on Reddit that the director of product, of product at Google Stadia or Google in general, I don't know, uh, uh, did on Reddit to have like you know answer the most popular questions. Uh, one of the things that they were asking is um, clarifying whether or not this is a Netflix for games. Uh, and they said that it's not really a Netflix for games. It's more like Xbox Live or PSN Plus. So they say that like those services, you if you, you will get one free game per month on the pro plan. So like Netflix implies you can just play whatever you want. But this is where you uh, can buy games or you can just wait and get a free game per every month and play that game. Uh, but there are no free games on the base plan because the Stadia base plan is for free. And the pro plan is like $10, $15 a month, something like that. They also were asked a question about whether or not what like what happens when the game when the if the service is ever discontinued because it's Google you know Google Plus Google Wave you know just list off a ton of ones that they made that they just decided to kill for no apparent reason. But uh, they were asking about whether or not what would happen if these the service was discontinued and they say if the Stadia service is discontinued you will be able to download the save the, the saves and the metadata for those games but not the games. So that sounds like a good deal, right? Not really at all. There will be social features, though, like chat and friend systems added to the platform as well. That makes it better. Uh, so anyway, they are going to be supporting Linux in the sense that it's going to be supporting no matter, like, you know, you just use a Google Chrome browser or whatever. Uh, but at the same time, because it's based on Debian and because it's based on Vulkan, there is going to be some potential that this will improve the Linux gaming scene and the ecosystem over around it because it has a lot of potential to do so thanks to the things that it is utilizing in the back end. So if they make a game to support Stadia, they also kind of automatically make a game to support Linux or make it really easy to support, at least, uh, the main Linux ecosystem, which is awesome in that sense. But yeah, the stipulations in the system of it is really weird. And um, they also asked, they were asked about uh, data caps for ISPs, and they stated that ISPs will adapt like they did for YouTube. So essentially, they'll break net neutrality uh, like they did for YouTube, or they'll have a partnership with Google in order to compensate for whatever. The director of products said their favorite feature is playing Assassin's Creed on his son's old, dirt-cheap Chromebook. That part is cool. I do like the fact that it makes it possible to use the servers that Google has and use that to power all of the games. So you could play it on a you know very underpowered device, and there's a lot of cool potential in that. And it'd be really cool if it was Valve doing it, not Google. I think that would be awesome if Valve did it. Uh, but Google basically have no faith in them in the sense that they are massive privacy violation company. They, uh, you know, also just even reliability because they've canceled so many different services for no apparent reason just because they felt like it. Uh, you know, all that stuff. So Google Stadia is coming still uh, in this this November. So if you are interested in checking it out. I've linked to it in the show notes, but you know, I'm actually kind of torn. One part of me is really interested in technology concept of it and seeing how it works and all that, and being able to play various different games that are not available on Linux via Linux. That is a really appealing thing. And at the same time, it's Google. So we'll see what happens. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. But if you'd like to find out more, I've linked to it in the show notes. Up next in the show is a topic that I've covered in the show before. And uh, if you've ever heard me talk about Epic Games and Tim Sweeney, you'll know that I'm not a fan. So this 
this topic could be going very long. I will try to keep it short, but I'm, I'm, I am I'm don't know if I can. I'm going to try, though. But anyway, uh, Tim Sweeney has come back on Twitter talking about Linux. He's been responding to the Linux community, which is good. He's been giving clarifications of things he said in the past, which is also good. I mean, you know, good job for making clarifications and for responding because a lot of companies would not even respond. But maybe there's a reason why you shouldn't because your responses are ridiculous. I'm just saying. Anyway, so the first question we're going to talk about is that someone asked him what his what his beef with Linux was. And he said that Linux is great. Unreal Engine 4, Epic Online Services, and Easy Anti-Cheat supported its native runtime platform, and we're seeking to better support Wine as a solution for running Epic Games Store window titles. So, yeah, Linux is great. Easy Anti-Cheat supports it as a native runtime platform. And then he goes on to say, Easy Anti-Cheat has native Linux binaries in beta. Wait, what? I thought it, I thought it supported as a runtime uh, platform natively. But now you're saying it's in beta, so it's not actually supported. So, uh, okay, I guess that, I guess that's a thing. Supporting several nat uh, native games in active release through these beta binaries that are in beta. Okay, so more specifically, let's point out that these games that are in active release are not Epic Games games. They're random third-party games that happen to be using these services. But you know. I didn't want to admit that. Anyway, he says the missing link is native Linux anti-cheat integration with Wine Proton. Wine slash Proton. So the games running under Wine are protected. This in the is in the works, but it's a big task. That's I, I agree with that. It is more than likely, almost guaranteed, a really big task to do. However, the missing link is not native Linux anti-cheat integration with, those, uh, with Proton and Wine. I would say first missing link Maybe that, that actually is a missing link, I'm sure. But I'm saying the first missing link is, you know, having any games of yours supporting Linux at all. That's a good, that's a that's something to have. I think you should think about that. Pull it back. I'll pull it back. Okay. Some other interesting things that came up recently. Someone mentioned Sweeney's per, uh, previous comment comparing installing Linux to moving to Canada, which is ridiculous. Anyway, he was saying that if you didn't like the political trends of the U.S., that it's the same thing as moving to Canada. Which, of course, it's not, because that's ridiculous. But he says, to clarify, these statements are consistent. 99.9% .9 of game playing is on mobile, console, and PC. He means Windows when he says PC. A game developer who's frustrated with other platforms can't just retreat to Linux. They can't earn a living there. We have to fight for freedoms on the today's platforms as they stand. Raw. Okay, so here's the problem with that. You don't have to abandon Windows in order to support Linux. It's called software. It's not your physical body in your actual location on the planet. That's a ridiculous analogy because you can support both of them, Windows and Linux and also consoles and mobile if you want to. You can support all of it because it's software and you don't have to pick and choose. You don't have to abandon one to work on the other. You can do both of them. Oh, wow. Isn't that a crazy thought? So yes, your statement is ridiculous because it's just a crazy silly statement because you're saying that you have to choose but you don't have to choose we can have both also it's worth noting that epic games was aware of this because unreal tournament used to support both of them <laughs> it doesn't now though so anyway he says uh he goes on to say what are those rights like the freedoms he's talking about i think it's the user's right to install software of their choosing from sources of their choosing 
developers' rights to release software on their own and competition amongst stores. That kind of sounds like he's changing his opinion about exclusives. He's not, though. He's definitely not. He says, does this mean every game developer has an obligation to release their games on every store? No. It's their creative work. They have a right to choose how to distribute it. That includes the right to negotiate short uh, store terms and re reject stores that don't pay them adequately. That's a jab at Valve. They're basically trying to uh, use as an example to attack Valve and their process, their the way they do uh, transaction stuff. Essentially, he's just using it. He's using it as another tactic to attack Valve and Steam. But Steam actually supports Linux, and Valve does a ton of stuff for Linux, including the missing link that you were talking about having integration with Proton. They made Proton. What have you done? Claim things that are ridiculous. That's what you've done. So anyway, I have very little expectation that Sweeney has any intention to release products for Linux because the track record of Epic Games suggests that they won't. For example, Unreal Tournament. You could argue that Unreal Tournament did have support for Linux. It did. The first version of Unreal Tournament did have support for Linux. Not initially, actually. It was supported uh, because... Uh, they decided some people in the in the company decided to release some libraries to allow the community to build support themselves and to do modding and then another company called Loki Loki Entertainment Loki Software they took over this the maintainership of those stuff of those libraries and maintaining the game for Linux not Epic Games and then they did all this work that was then utilized in the sequels for 2003 and 2004 and they used those to support Linux as well, but they did so because of the work done by Loki and the rest of the community, and like Iculus and stuff. And then they come out with Unreal Th Tournament 3, which did not support Linux. They said it was going to, and then they abandoned it pretty shortly after that. But yeah, when was the last time they supported Linux? Oh, that. Yeah, over a decade ago was the last game they supported Linux on. And as soon as they realized that PUBG and Battle Royale games were getting super hyped, that's when they abandoned the new Unreal Tournament, which was supposed to work on Linux, but they abandoned it completely to work on Fortnite and then ignored Linux completely. So, yeah, the online service for Epic, they work on Linux. The uh, anti easy anti-cheat supposedly works on Linux. And the Unreal Engine works on Linux. That's actually just true. It's true. The Unreal Engine does work on Linux and a lot of games that use Unreal Engine do have some Linux support, but Epic Games themselves who make these don't think that Linux is worth caring about. They think it's great, but not great for them, apparently. So, yeah. So, yeah, Epic Games, not a fan, but I just wanted to give a little counterpoint to my next topic because it's also about Epic Games, but in a positive light. They sometimes do good things. So as I said, I'm not a fan of Epic Games, but occasionally they do things that are good. For example, they're giving a mega grant, as they call it, of $1.2 million to the Blender Foundation. This is quite awesome, because I, uh, the Blender Foundation is a fundamental aspect of the open source world, uh, they were actually really quick into adopting open source. They actually became an open source project before the term open source even existed. So that's awesome. Um, but there's, but it's really good that they're going to be they're getting this because uh, uh, Ton Rosendahl, uh, Rosendahl uh, for the Blender Foundation founder and chairman says that having Epic Games on board is a major milestone for Blender. 
Thanks to the grant, we will be we will make a significant investment in our project organization to improve onboarding, coordination, and best practices for code quality. As a result, we expect more contributors from the industry to join our projects. This is really cool because Blender is a fantastic piece of software. It can do so many things like video editing on in addition to all the 3D modeling and all that stuff and graphic design and all that well, graphic animations and stuff, motion graphic stuff. It's really cool. Blender's really cool. So I'm glad that they're doing it. Uh, I'm glad that they're doing this. So occasionally Epic Games does do things that are good. Tim Sweeney, founder and CEO of Epic Games, says open tools, libraries, and platforms are critical to the future of the digital content ecosystem. Blender is an enduring resource within, within the artistic community, and we aim to ensure its advancement to the benefit of all creators. Fantastic. Love to hear it. Good job, Epic Games. Finally. So I wanted to end this show on a positive note. In fact, a very positive note. So the Humble Very Positive th Bundle 3 is now available, and there are quite a few games that are available for this bundle. Uh, four of the seven are uh, playable on Linux, two of which are Prison Architect, Bendy, and the Ink Machine, and these are both uh, native games, and these are by themselves probably worth it in general because Prison Architect is really cool, uh, and I have not played Bendy and the Ink Machine, but it looks pretty cool too. Uh, but there also is Distraint 2 and Rusty Lake Paradise are both available as Platinum rating on ProtonDB. Now these four are all available in the first and second tier, so you don't even have to pay the full price of the bundle in order to get the, the Linux games if you wanted, to, wanted those. Uh, there are three other games that are in the bundle that are Windows only, and their rating on ProtonDB is Silver, so not really that good. Maybe in the future they might get better, I don't know. Uh, but uh, because it's only the, you know, it's actually a pretty good deal because they're the ones that are native to Linux are in the lower tiers and therefore you don't spend as much money. So that's good, right? Anyway, uh, I think this is pretty cool uh, because there's a, the, the prison architect is definitely uh, worth it. If you also, if you combine the bendy and ink machine, that's pretty cool. So uh, if you do want to check it out, I have a link in the show notes and also to be clear that the link in the show notes is an affiliate link. So if you do decide to purchase it, please use that link because a small commission of the order will go to the Tux Digital channel and this podcast of This Week in Linux. So I would appreciate that very much if you were to do so. Uh, so again, the affiliate link will be in the show notes below. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many more. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux Everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux Everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. And if you're not aware, the Tux Digital uh, channel is funded partially by this t-shirt, and this t-shirt is designed by me. And the concept of the design was trying to illustrate the, you know, celebrate the proliferation of Linux, because Linux is basically everywhere. And I also have Tux blended into the background of the shirt to kind of convey the message that, even if you don't know that Linux is there or not, it probably is. So, if you'd like to check it out, it's touchdigital.com slash Linux everywhere. We also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find places like Amazon, Private Interaccess, and many more by going to touchdigital.com slash affiliates. And if you'd like to check out some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. And just a reminder, this show is live usually every Saturday, so join us in the live chat and discuss all the latest Linux news each week. The past couple weeks it hasn't been, but it will be next week. So, 
there. That's that's going to happen. <laughs> Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanel with Tux Digital, and as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.